Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So I posed the question the last episode. All things being equal, the people involved are qualified, have experience, and so on. So you don't have to worry about the technical details of everything. Is there anyone that you would hire in the NHL for a job at your company based exclusively off their public interviews? And why? Or why not? Well, to answer the why not question, um, the 200 hockey men. Uh, But more specifically, I had two names that I immediately jotted down last week. One is Dean Lombardi. Let me tell you. I just happen to have a client that deals with a a place of quasi-historical U.S. interest. And it would be great if he could come in and distract the, um, oh, you know, the pesky people that come in at the 11th hour and just railroad a project. If he could just distract those people while me and, you know, the person actually running the project from the client side, we could get to work and just get things finished. That would be great. And I feel like Dean Lombardi with his dipping back into historical knowledge would be the perfect person to just let me do my work. And then the other is Eric Tulski. I think he's given one interview and, um, Obviously, he's like competent people. We're not talking about them. Oh, I know, but he was just the name I wrote down. But no, Dean Lombardi, mainly because he can distract someone with his um, impressive historical knowledge, quote unquote. Just say banality, okay? Just be done with it. Well, okay, but I already mentioned the 200 hockey men, so I didn't want to get redundant here. Um, amazingly enough, I, I, I had a answer and I changed my answer after listening around and I was going to pick a front office person. Then I thought, nah, that's a little too easy because, you know, people like Tolsky and, um, Brandon Pittum and those kinds of guys are, you know, they very rarely give interviews and they always come across as sort of, you know, well thought and well spoken. I decided to make it a challenge. Was there a player I could find? And I landed on Jacob Chikrin, of all people. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I'd heard of a number of his interviews in the past, especially when he was playing, um, uh, youth hockey and the thing I kept hearing from him is he was in AP classes up until his final year. And he just always came across as 
not not robotic even when giving something of a cliched answer it wasn't just you know i am turning off and becoming an automaton type thing but you could also tell there's there's that little trick right when someone asks you a question if they start answering immediately you know you know they were either not listening to you and thinking of the answer in their head or they just think they know you know they're just spitting out a script and that trick is um just that little pause of thinking you know even if it's just a half a second there's just that little pause that says i heard you i'm thinking now i've got an answer so yeah he he uh he kind of came across that way and that's hard to say with a lot of the the players (laughs) in the men's side i will say in the women's side it's far too easy because most of them are overeducated for what they do, you know, for what they want to do for a living. Right. You know, Absolutely. You have professional doctors and lawyers and law students and medical students out there playing hockey trying to get paid to do it. So, yes, that was mine. So, when I came up with this question, actually, I've thought about this question a lot over the years, periodically, usually while I'm watching someone being interviewed, typically a player, sometimes a coach, um, sometimes a GM. And I can't, I mean, I, I sat there and I, and I sit there and really think about it. It's like, what is this person trying to tell me? What are they trying to like, you know, how are they trying to portray themselves? How, how does this really come across? And off the top of my head, actually, I shouldn't say off the top of my head because I actually sat here and thought about it. But anyone currently in the NHL? No. And my biggest reason for that is no one takes responsibility for their own actions. There is no accountability. It's like I'm not hiring someone who can't be accountable for their own actions. That's not right. You're, they're just going to end up like causing all kinds of problems and shoving it off on on everybody else in the office. <laughs> oh, it's his fault. He didn't give it to me. You know, it's like playing the victim all the time is just tiring, and I don't want to hear it. And, <laughs> and I don't know. What, I don't know what happened on that play. I had my guy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or or the the um um somebody. Got, you know, gave a good legal but hard hit, and and the guy's like going, "That was so dirty. It was such a dirty hit. I can't believe he hit me that way. He could have injured me." Stuff, you know, and and GMs like not taking responsibility for their own trades. Oh well, it's the player's fault. Coaches not taking responsibility for their bench managing. Oh, it's the player's fault. Or, it's, or occasionally, if a guy's trying to get fired, well, the GM isn't supplying me with, like, the right players. You know, I mean, it, it, they're always passing the buck. They're always, like, and then on top of that, you can't get a sense of their personality. And, you know, the biggest thing of, like, hiring people in an office environment in special, especially is you want everyone to be able to, like, get along with minimum friction, Right. And if everybody's qualified, then you want the guy, in this case, guys, um, 
<laughs> you want them to be able to be easygoing and take direction well. I mean, you know, they're they're coachable, obviously. Well, if the coaches would coach, but um, but you know, it's it it's just they just look like they would be a problem strictly off of their interviews. And, and you know, I, I know that they're coached to like interview that way and, and, and all of that. And they're totally different when the cameras aren't in their face. And I get that, but like strictly off their interviews, I'm just looking at them going, there's no way I would ever want to work with you in an office. If this is, if this is what, how you're presenting yourself and this is what you're saying, hell no. So that's where I was going with that. <laughs> it's funny when you just said, I mean, of the active players, there, there are a few you could point to mm-hmm. in the women's game. It's like, just show me the roster and I'll just circle most of them. Then I got thinking about AHL players and the number of times in interviews I've heard how on the road guys are still taking classes or they're picking up a trade on some side business because they don't know. And there's no shortage of players in the minor leagues who I think would fit the bill and could, you know, haven't had the terrible interview coaching from the, you know, major league teams, you know, PR department. The guys who weren't expected to go in the first round. mm Mm-hmm. And one name I had written down actually for honestly for any of us was Jordan Suband, who has kind of started a company. He says he's, you know, dipped his toes into learning some tech and look a lot of just being hireable, being a great employee is you know, willing to learn something new and being prepared to fail. Being a self-starter. Yeah. And just trying something. And, you know, his family doesn't lack for charisma and, and ability to communicate well. Um, now how he types up his poll requests, that's a different story, but, I could just see something there. Yeah, and that was the other thing too is the communication part. It's like they're they're the ones that have been overly coached in you know how to present themselves to the media, especially. Say nothing. Can they can talk for like, you know, ten minutes and they say nothing. And again, you know, if you're sitting in an interview with a person and they're telling you nothing. You're going to be looking around going, what are you trying to hide? Do you have like a criminal record? Do I need to check your background check again? Because this is shady, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I the, the biggest reason that I came up with this is I think that how the NHL, and I, I understand it's a PR thing, right? But it's also doing a disservice to the players because they're not going to be playing hockey the rest of their lives. You know, it's like they're going to retire at some point and they're going to need to, like, do job interviews. <laughs> mm. Yes, they are. But here's the kicker. What are they going to put? You know, who's going to hire them? 
people that know they played in the NHL. What are they going to, you know, what are they, are they really, you know, to, to Pat's point, it's the guys that are down in the AHL or the ECHL or any of those, you know, semi-pro-pro-ish leagues that are there, you know, just grinding it out because they're enjoying it and oftentimes have to work during the summer anyway, you know, sort of old school NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I was going to say to your point about the um, blathering on in, in interviews always reminds me of um, college papers, right? Where, where profs come in and say it's a thousand words, it's five thousand words or whatever. And it's like, well, they all are all, all those words aren't going to be winners. You know, <laughs> if I know a subject well enough, I don't need five thousand words in paper to describe it, you know, unless it's a complex subject. And even then, you know, yeah. And I go back to I've started a trend at work within my team of writing very brief feature documents. And literally, it's like, here's the problem. Here are the goals we want to achieve after we're done with this. Here's how we're going to achieve them. And if that takes, you know, the, they always say a one-pager. And Pat will laugh at this. You know, there is no such thing as a one-pager. <laughs> Nobody ever writes a one-pager. <laughs> they usually spill over into four or five. And, and too often, that is just someone finding words you know, sort of to fill what they think they want to say rather than just cutting to the quick and saying, here's A, here's B, here's C. Bullet points are my friend. And that's and that's essentially, you know, it's like I have a, I have basically, you know, a problem statement that says, hey, we need to do this. This is why it's causing issues. And, okay, here are the five things I want to get out of it in bullet point form, to your point, Cassie, because they are very clear and concise, single mm-hmm. Don't even have to be complete sentences, <laughs> but they convey the statement, and then you know, like another statement saying, you know, we're going to phase this in because this is a big long-term project, and here's what we're going to accomplish this phase. Of those five things, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so many people have just come into meetings going, "God, I love that. I'm going to steal it." And I'm like, "That's fine by me." You know, I may file a patent for it because apparently, you know. Uh, yeah, I've corrupted my boss. I, I am definitely the, the bullet point queen. And uh, he would do staff meetings once a quarter, and he would have PowerPoint slides. And the last one that he did was just a Word document with bullet points. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. We don't need to have PowerPoint slides for this. You're not putting up graphics. It's okay. <laughs> I, yeah. It's 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 that it's that education system sometimes does a world of hurt because everyone thinks they need to over-explain things. <laughs> I've had professors, and we're totally going off tangent. I know. Um, <laughs> no, again. not on this show. <laughs> no, right? But if we go off tangent, and that's our thing, does that mean we're on tangent? I mean, let's. Talk about a philosophical debate. You're going to make my head hurt. (laughs) Oh, it's allergy season here. I'm already there. So, um, now I've had professors who are like, you know, up to so many words or up to so many pages, try to be as concise as possible. 
And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that makes my life easier. <laughs> no more padding words. <laughs> you know, the, the most beautiful equation in the world is one inch because Einstein said, I, if I couldn't fit it into an inch, it was, you know, it was too much. If mm-hmm. I can't collapse it down, then it's too much. So, um, breaking so news. S- oh. Sorry, really, really quick. Oh, breaking news. What do the Nashville Predators need more than anything else? Oh, 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 oh. Um, as far uh, as players, yeah. I mean, a goal scorer. But don't oh. they have players? No, they they do. But you know, what are they lacking in their in their roster? Uh, I mean, probably goaltending. Mm-hmm. A little bit of everything. <laughs> I mean, pretty much anything but defense, right? Oh, funny you should say that. <laughs> they just signed David Ferentz, a defenseman from college, because <laughs> they just signed to his two-year contract. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, if you have if you have a good defensive core and an okay goalie, then that's you know, then all you really need is is scoring. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if that goalie is even okay. I don't know who who's the goalie there again. <laughs> it's still Pecorine. That's what I thought. I'm like, wait. <laughs> and except when it's UC Soros. <laughs> all right. One of the one of the finish. They're finished. Yep. Yeah. I just. I sorry, Pat. Um, I just. You know. I'm sitting here, and I just came across my feed, and I just had to start laughing because the one thing in the world that the, the Nashville Predators should not be looking to shore up is their defensive core. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's like Montreal collecting veteran players, right? Mean centers that they turn into wingers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or wingers, or wingers that were centers that they're thoroughly convinced can become centers. I don't know that they understand that there's a difference between centers and, and wingers. Is there really though? <laughs> if everyone knows how to take faceoffs, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one thing that's always baffled me. Where you'll you'll get the little video clips of certain players practicing face-offs, quote-unquote, after practice. Shouldn't that be every forward? Uh, Honestly, I kind of think it should be every skating player because sometimes you end up with um, defenders playing wing and then they toss out the center and then the defender has to take the uh, (laughs) face-off. Why is Zdeno Chara not taking face-offs? Didn't, Not necessarily to win them clean, but if he can't tie and also block the opposing center in the defensive zone. And the sun. And the moon. And the stars up above. Before we break out into a Broadway hit. Um, <laughs> didn't Biaxa take a face off that one game where they, where they just basically started with a fight? I think so. I think so. So he could get closer to the. uh... I think, yeah, I think it was Calgary and Vancouver and Calgary put out their bash line and 
Yeah, the Canucks started out with BX at center so he could tie up whoever it was. It makes it look like it's a little less um, premeditated when the two guys just slashed each other in the skates. Mm -hmm. Time to go. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why you put BX taking the face off at center. (laughs) Because it's not so obvious what's going to happen next. Oh, Lord, it can't be. No, no, nobody knows what. Wow, this mystery. Why is Biaxa standing across from? Now I forget who the hell it was. Hmm. God damn it. I don't want to go look it up. I'm comfortable. I don't want to change my position to go surfing the internet. Damn it all. No one cares. It's okay. <sighs> <laughs> uh, people can yell at me all they want. I don't care. You got it. Hmm. I didn't have anything else. Well, I had set it up for Pat to talk about Stahl going to Montreal, but nobody picked that one up. (laughs) I mean, he couldn't have been more excited to to get out of Buffalo, it seemed. Yeah, but he didn't look exactly thrilled to be going to Montreal. So, rumor has it his no trade list was pretty much all Canadian teams and anyone in the like the top ten of the league for basically it, some really good teams. I don't know if he wanted to um, make sure he got his minutes, got his cookies. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted because uh, Kevin Bieksa fought Kevin Wethsgarth of the Flames. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. January 18th, 2014. I'm good at the interwebs. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's really going to be interesting when Stahl is playing, you know, second line right wing with... Um, with Mr. Suzuki. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting change for him. Yeah, that was a weird trade. Um for a third and a fifth. Yeah, okay. I mean everyone's gonna, you know, bemoan the uh return and how it's going to just you know, crater of the trade market. Just get what you can get this year, you know? You know, it's funny that it happened, you know, what, 24 hours, less than 24 hours after the announcement that these players would only have to quarantine seven days with increased testing, uh, that they were able to come to a deal. Mm. See... I want to know who's who's put the voodoo curse on uh, on Buffalo. They seem to be having an even worse season than most people expected them to. So in our group chat, I immediately replied with, it was Terry. It was Terry Pagula. Because I feel like Kim actually does some day-to-day business with each of the teams. And yet their other sports property in the Buffalo Bills haven't been cursed like this. So 
think it's an inside job. Uh, I mean, and by cursed by them specifically, I mean Buffalo sports is just cursed in general. I w- okay, so wouldn't isn't this like you know three wrongs don't make a right, but three rights make a left type thing? They just sort of you know they cursed themselves. They cursed an already cursed franchise, which sort of uncursed them from the first curse. So now they're purging. Is that what you're saying? They're I, purging from the first curse. I, I, Kind of like like they're so they they're so overcursed, <laughs> you know? but somehow Darcy Regeer had like a protection spell over the franchise. I, uh, I, I always I always think of the Bills curse. You know the the whole Buffalo sports scene in general curses, um, sort of like the the Mister Burns. When he's shown why he's still alive, and then all the all the viruses are blocked up at the doors, and they're stacked so they can't get through, and that's mm-hmm. the only reason he's still alive. That's kind of the way I feel about the Buffalo Curse. They've just got so many of them that you know, like nothing horrible can happen to him because it's already sort of tainted. So, are we sure? Well, first of all. Three rights can make a um, roundabout. I had to throw that in there. But um, are we sure that they just don't, you know, feel like they're they're worthy of success and they're sabotaging themselves? Is you know, is this just not a a Buffalo doesn't feel like they're good enough for things for good things rather than them being cursed? Do they need a good shrink? <laughs> They need a good scout. Like, Buffalo players would sign there if the team was good. I think that's pretty evident. When your team is good, a good you know player might sign there or sign an extension and not go UFA or pull a Pierre-Luc Dubois and sign a short extension because everyone's worried about, you know, oh, losing you four, five, six years from now. Um, They just don't, they haven't drafted a good player in ages. And even their first-round picks that are on the roster, they've just kind of messed that up because they haven't had anyone to insulate them with. They're bad at development and drafting. Hmm. That's like the NHL. I I think all teams are bad at development, honestly. Like, it should be no surprise that, you know, OHLers that are still playing in the American Hockey League right now are doing well because they're talented and they actually do seem to get some coaching. uh, Because, oh, wow, talent with a little direction, you know, provides some pretty decent results. And it's not like Buffalo has had any success down in the minor leagues at any point. And Rochester. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's really a simple equation. It's just like draft some more players so that you can have just an adequate but boring team for a little bit till you get the, the difference ma- makers. 
Do or... just enough to where it looks like you're trying, but not enough to actually have to try? The Columbus Blue Jackets, ladies and We're gentlemen. We're back to the Mariners again, huh? Or the San Jose Sharks, you know? <laughs> yes, but the, but the San Jose Sharks will take that model and then they'll talk themselves into being something that they're not. Which is a playoff team? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because all they need to go get is that one guy, and this year they can claw their way back into the race because they're playing so well. Yeah. And it's only going to cost you your future again to get that one guy. Because oh, they. California optimism. They are the ultimate kick the can down the road team. Anyway, enough ranty Patrick. Can you ranty Patrick? Anti ranta Patrick. Anti ranta. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> So what else happened this week? Buffalo or no Boston Pride won the Isabel oh, Cup last night. I was gonna walk away from that one because Boston. Yeah. yeah, good for them. Good, you know, great. It was a good Jill, game to watch. Jill Dempsey did want, you know, she she probably deserved the MVP, but eh. Boston, Boston. And I, w- I was prior to the um, I'm just going to refer to them as the games at Lake Placid mm-hmm. from this point on. Um, <laughs> as much as I wanted to see Toronto do well, because they've got some entertaining players. Uh, I, I I think I I think Minnesota is my allegiance to the NW and um should I, I was ins- a little sad. Should I insert the Olympic theme under the games at Lake Placid? <laughs> oh, that that would imply that there was more than one game. And American history just says that there was only one Olympic game in Lake Placid. Even though it wasn't the gold medal game. Shush, Cassie. Okay, shush. <laughs> Don't you it was dare. the freedom game. That's all that matters. It was the freedom game. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Dare change the lore <laughs> of our defeat of communism that day, okay? Okay, I, I'm sorry, but breaking news. Uh-oh. The Predators... <laughs> more on the Predators front. The Predators have assigned forward Luke Evangelista to the Chicago Wolves of the AHL. So not only are they signing a defenseman... They're cutting forward. They're cutting a forward. I presume because he is under the age of 24. Well, you know what they say. Defense wins championships. And let's see. How old is this forward player? Oh, he is 19 years old. uh, And he played for London of the OHL is 19. He was clearly injured at some point. Yeah. God. It's like, what are you even, Nashville? What are you even? Did they even go here? She doesn't even go here. (laughs) It's like the best line in that movie. I will contest that to my dying day. (laughs) Breaking, breaking news. Columbus has just tied the game. With Detroit, De- 
Detroit, as Elliot says it. Detroit. Detroit. Oliver Bjork Strand. Actually, it looks like it was tipped in front. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Jack Rosselvick with the in front screen. Still some question whether he did or did not get a piece of the, the we'll Bjork right Strand shot. Nope, in that. he tipped it. Okay. And that was all the action from the uh, 1-1 game. Yep. It's been a snoozer. Uh, yep. Thank God it's got national coverage. Mm-hmm. On NBC. But like, with the with the Detroit broadcast. Well, you know, I can deal with that. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Thankfully, the full-blown NBC broadcast earlier today was uh, quite a fun game. Was it? I didn't watch the Washington early. Washington and Rangers? Caps and Rangers? Nine goals, 5-4 final. Caps were up 4 nothing at one point, and, um, which they should have. And uh, Rangers made it entertaining. Good, set. and th- there were no goals scored in the first period. But oh. but talk to me about how we can increase scoring in this league. Um, you you play Keith Kincaid in front of a terrible team. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I don't know. I I thought last night's Oilers Leafs game was highly entertaining. Yeah, and th- there were only seven goals in that game. And and was decided in an overtime, you know. Yeah. You know. And depending yeah. upon what side of things you are, it it's then you get into the nitty gritty. Was it interference or was it not interference? Yeah. No one knows. In football parlance, last night's game was twenty eight twenty one, right? Yeah, it was perfect. You know, I don't know why people complain about you don't like seven nothing games in football, but you take the W, right? That's a one nothing game in hockey. Yeah. For as much as I uh, no longer enjoy the American football, uh, they were smart with their scoring system. It really fools people. It really does. Man, that was an awesome 35-34 game. Uh, sure. you know, <laughs> <laughs> It took four hours for these guys to get, you know, five goals. Yeah. <laughs> But one of the highlights from last night was in the, I believe for the third time in three weeks, a potential game winning overtime goal was overturned by offside. Yeah. But in better fashion, fashion, um, the same player went on to score the game winner moments later. Like, how dare you take that away from me? I'll show you. That's a, That's that's when that player should have pulled out the infamous call Toronto goal celebration, you know, do the do the phone, hang it up, turn around and point at the center dot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look upstairs to a random spot in the rafters for the um, technician who connects the call. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Rules. Those funny little things. Increasing scoring, hmm. taking are, back goals from offsides. Facts are stubborn things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no facts, just interpretations. Oh, interpretations. Yes, yes. Sure. You could also say mandates too. Sure. Some 
you know, sometimes... That might be stretching it a little bit. Okay. Well, sometimes when individuals prepare and write a document, like a rule book, the words are there. They're there for everyone to read, but the people in charge, eh, they, they want you to do things a certain way. So, so many words and so few the reps care about. For the league, I guess I should say. <laughs> a little column A, a little column B. Oh, wow. Did that happen this week? That happened this week. Where, huh. where he just said the quiet part out loud, even though we already kind of knew it. It's, it's, it's. Jesus. Um, do you, do you, do you watch TV? Either of you watch TV? I've I have been known to upon occasion. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you get mad at commercials? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> they're interrupting your show, right? Yeah, they're making yeah. me angry. Okay. But they're they're know, putting little tunes from uh, certain, you know, singers in my head ad nauseum over the summer, but you know, they're they're there. Okay. Cuz yes, but we all understand it's an unwritten contract, right? Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to watch television, I'm going to put up with commercials because mm-hmm. they have to pay the bills, and that's the only way they can pay the bills, right? Mm-hmm. So, kind of, isn't it an unwritten contract that not everything's going to get called, and referees are going to call certain things? Well, I mean, it's human nature. They cannot. I mean, you know, the puck moves faster than they can. Right, and isn't there always been some sort of we demand equity type thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so wouldn't there be an unwritten contract that says, you know, if an egregious foul, you know, if, if a referee was out of position and called a very bad penalty against a team that he might want to even it up simply for the sake of equity? See, that's that's where I deviate from that thinking. <laughs> and I, uh, I understand what you're saying with that, though. Go on. I, I'm, you're you're I'm not, not incorrect. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying. Right, you're not wrong. For the sake of equity, don't you feel as an efficient, as an adjudicator, that you you should provide some equity? Especially in the case where a bad call has been made, where you go have they, you know, they have a chance to review it, or one of the linesmen steps up and says, "Yeah, that wasn't the guy," you know, it, it, he fell on his own or something like that. You were out of position, and you go back and say, "Oh crap," you know, and then so then you apply the rule book in a more literal fashion to provide some sort of equity to the team that you have wronged. Accidentally. But then, how do you get Hall of Fame players to swear at you? Um, just call a penalty against them. Oh, that's... do anything wrong. Okay, so I guess I did it right the first time when a future Kraken GM... Really wanted some equity stakes in a game. Hmm. <laughs> this See, sounds to me like there's, I think it's time for Pat Story Corner. 
<laughs> a little bit of beef going on there, huh? So one of one of the lovely things about you know living and uh, being part of the hockey community, I hate phrasing it like such, but it is what it is. In one of the smaller NHL markets, is uh, you tend to see a lot of the players and team employees because their kids happen to be involved and play in the sport from time to time and during the off seasons or certain recently retired players just happen to end up coaching their kids, whether they should or not. Cause sometimes just cause you've been around a game long enough doesn't mean you should coach. You just can't put the game down. No, no, it's just, you know, I, I know you want to stay involved, but you just got to find the right lane. Not to go into too much detail, but a former franchise by the name of the Raleigh Renegades happened to be coached by one Ronald Francis. Had a group of 95 birth year players playing a team for uh, Richmond, the Richmond Royals, a 94-age team, and they were getting worked. Oh, look at that. A team of one-year-old player, uh, team of players more than one year older. With more practice time under the belt, a little more experience. We're doing really well with just some youth volunteer coaches who kind of know how youth sports work versus, you know, the pro game. And a certain, you know, future general manager's son happens to take a checking from behind penalty, where in youth sports, people actually take that sort of thing seriously, where not only do you get a minor penalty depending upon how egregious it is, you're also given a 10-minute misconduct. Woof. So, yeah, Francis' son takes a 2-10 and penalty, and one of the other things that happens when you're playing a team that's a little year older than you, what? it's this crazy thing, and sometimes we see it with drafted prospects, where it's like they go undrafted one year, and this wild phenomenon of a growth spurt happens mm-hmm. where you end up being a little bigger. Sometimes you become a little faster because you you've developed your speed, you've grown into your body. And so when a team is bigger and faster and then you make clean body checks, they can look pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And oh, I want to say not quite 10 minutes after uh, I put Francis's son in the box for a checking from behind penalty. One of his players get just gets lit up, has has the puck trying to shoot it in across center ice line to dump it in. And before the puck is released from the stick, kid just clean hip check right into the boards. They're close enough where it's not boarding. He wasn't propelled. He didn't go headfirst into the boards. It was just a clean, hard check. And the kid had a tough time getting up. And then I got read the riot act. (laughs) And, you know, in youth sports, most times the officials are local to the region that they're in. So here I am, the quote-unquote ho-time official getting, you know, sworn at by a by a Hall of Famer uh, because his team was a year younger, underdeveloped, and um, had some players that probably shouldn't be playing travel hockey. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) 
So what I'm saying is, yes, there is some interpretation and yes, there is some gamesmanship and uh, to everyone saying, don't manage the game. You've never dealt with parents before. But see, that's the thing is that referees are supposed to, that's their job. They're supposed yes, to manage because, the because, and I will say this, if you want the rule book called to the letter of the law, you're going to complain and say, let the kids play, let the guys play, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then you do that. And then when, you know, your knuckleheads like Kevin Bieksa line up for a face off and, you know, at the, at the whim of John Tortorella on the Vancouver bench, I'm not the one telling them to go fight immediately after because you put a, you know, the goon squad out. I'm not initiating. I can't control who you put out there for your your starting lineup. I'm only there to react to what happens. Now, if everyone starts swinging their sticks towards people's heads, yes, I'm going to start calling a lot of stick penalties. But if no one's doing that, okay, a little light tap. Not quite on the hands, but close to the hands. I might not call a hook or a slash there. Because everything's been kept within the parameters of the rule book. If it interferes with or prevents a scoring play. Oh, interesting you should say that. Because then the other word that's very popular in the youth in USA Hockey's rule book that is quite absent from the NHL is the word impede. If, if, if you're just skating and you're not physically moving your legs, you're being carried by momentum and someone is kind of slowing you down. Let's say, Oh, I don't know the potential game winning goal scorer in an overtime game between Toronto and Edmonton last night. For example, if one Connor McDavid is not actively skating, he's just kind of coasting up the ice waiting for a breakdown that would lead to a breakaway pass, which I see the logic there. If he's not physically moving his feet, he's not going to get an interference call when someone makes body contact shortly after releasing the puck. It's uh Oh, I, I mean, I don't know where I come up with these wild, crazy examples, but they're just kind of all over the place. Mm. See, I'm the youngest of five children, and fairness is very important to me because of that. And so I feel like the NHL, and I understand the reasons behind it, and I know it's not going to be perfect, and and there's some leeway that needs to be involved in all of that. But at the same time, you know, there's a difference between having the perception of fairness and then actually being fair. And fair, a, or would you also say equitable? I'm going with fair. Okay. And so, you know, and as a child, you're very keenly aware of the difference. <laughs> the difference between whether your parents are trying to make things look fair or things actually being fair. And so I feel like the NHL just wants it to all look fair. They don't really care about actual fairness itself. They just 
want the sport to look fair. And so by evening up penalties by the end of the game or trying to, I feel like that's just doing making the game less of a game and, and it's it and it's more entertainment. I mean it's an entertainment factor, right? So it's better to have it look fair and be entertaining than actually have it be fair and everybody getting frustrated with that. So, so yeah, it, it really kind of grates on me because fairness is a very important thing to me, but at the same time, I understand that having everything called by the book isn't realistic, so. And all the um, analysis pieces of penalty differentials in games and how often it's within one, it's just, you know, it's been funny to watch from the outside because it's like, hasn't been this, hasn't this been evident just by watching the games? I, thank you. Eye test, people will sit there and like tell you that the eye test isn't accurate. Uh, It is, but people don't always know what to look at. So to go back to today's question, it's almost like if I sat you down and gave you certain interview questions about hockey, how well would some of these players, GMs, coaches actually do? Other than rattle, you know, rattling off a bunch of names of people that they know. I mean, you know, they've been playing for so long, it's all automatic, right? It's that yeah. whole it's and we were talking after our last episode after we finished recording and and I was saying that the worst question that you can be asked in a job interview is someone asking you, so I, you know, I work, I do GIS, geographical information system work. And um, the worst thing that someone can do is to say, okay, so you have, you, you have this data and you have this result that you want to get to. What are your steps in the program? And me having done this for 15, 20 years, I'm like, I, I can't tell you, but I can, you know, if you give me the, the program, I can show you exactly where it's at because you're not thinking about what you're doing anymore. You're just doing it. So, I and guess that, <laughs> that is very much what the NHL likes to do to control how they want things happening. And by the NHL, I mean Colin Campbell and I mean the general managers that have been around the block once or twice. It's like, to use your interview analogy, I'm going to give you a whiteboard test in this very common and terrible practice in software development. Would you agree, Patrick? Dear God. Exactly. And what they'll have you do is try to write things in a certain programming language that is, it might be a useful skill, it might be something to know, but it's very much built on ideology and things that you learn in school. When you get a computer science degree or God forbid you go into computer engineering, don't do it, kids. (laughs) I have blocked that all out of my memory. Um. But what they have you do is do a bunch of things that you would never do in a, a production environment because we've written things to make things easy for you. 
We have ice resurfacing machines. So the concept of being a hoser where the losing team would have to drag out the hose and flood the the rink after a game after they lost doesn't exist anymore. So if I'm going in for a job interview on how to, you know, be an ice technician, I'm not going to talk about using a hose and what route I would walk to make sure I equally distribute water on the ice. I just love I'm, the way they, they, they preface these, though, too, right? In, mm-hmm. in, in your analogy, to be, okay, the ice resurfacing machines are both incapacitated. We need, to, we need to resurface the rink before the period. How would you do it? I'd get on the phone and call someone with a cup and come fix those damn things or, you know, get a backup. (laughs) (laughs) And before anyone asks me, yes, I know you would use an actual hose when you're putting down ice for the first time in the season. I'm aware of how ice works. I've made ice before. It's so is so you're telling me the cold is required. Yeah, the cold is required. It, it, yes. it is required. Okay. Yes, and but when you ask me a specific thing on how I would flood the ice after a game, it's irrelevant how you would do it when you're making ice for the first time. Those are two completely different situations. And techniques for one thing don't match up with necessarily techniques for the other. Yes, there's some overlap and some of the stuff is similar. Sort of like these NHL rules and the way certain individuals want things done because they want things to seem or feel, I say equitable because it's like, well, because it's not fairness. It's not things being called the same because it's not. And it does a disservice to the league's best players who are playing the most minutes, put in the most situations, and taking the most, you know, physical contact, hooks, holds, slashes. But they they also benefit from it a bit, too, because the the, the NHL, as the governing entity of, of this particular league, wants to make sure that their star players are still on the ice as often as possible. So they can do egregious things and get off light because the whole idea of, you know, fans are tuning in or they're buying tickets specifically to see this guy. And so we can't have him out of the lineup for 10 games, even though that's what the rule book says, you know, (laughs) you're just not going to do it. So... (laughs) So, you know, they they do take more of a beating. They do get more ice time. And that is probably weighs more heavily than the benefits that they get out of it, which is not having to sit out games, not getting the biggest fines and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, there there are some star, quote unquote, star players that walk that fine line between being really talented and really damn dirty. Mm-hmm. <coughs> of Etchkin. <coughs> so, you know, I mean, good in the bad, I guess. Yeah. They have no problem suspending him for not showing up to an All-Star game. Yeah, that's because fans can't get, regular fans can't get tickets to those. No. Uh, uh, so no. you're saying I'm not a regular fan? No, you're special. Oh no, that's worse. <laughs> I know, right? 
<laughs> don't be special. You don't want to be special. It's bad. <laughs> Just saying, you know. The where you'd want him on a national stage is not just that his games, but the game, right? They're, if they want, they continue to want to. They continue to want the All Star Game to be the best of the best type thing, and then they continue to do everything to make sure that those guys don't want to show up. So mm-hmm. can't have it both ways. No. Which is funny. Um, I am currently reading with my. S- almost nine-year-old son, um, Down Goes Brown's book. And last night, we were wrapping up the chapter on The Trade. And it's interesting that Sean noted that after the point of this trade and how players were honestly being used as uh, commodities, that basically Gretzky was sold for a $15 million price tag. And to get the taxes to line up, they threw some other players in the deal. But sure enough, the owner just needed some money. And so he made the Gretzky trade. But then that same owner will go back because he'll want it both ways. And, you know, expect players to take quote unquote hometown discounts. Uh, Live in-game update. Midway through, uh, early in the start of the third period, Michael Rasmussen just potentially scoring a goal. The bowling ball method. Yes. He didn't push the goaltender's leg pad per se with a uh, back-checking Boone Jenner on his back. Uh, I believe we're going to have a 2-1 hockey game here. As uh, uh, older white men with gray hair pull down their masks to complain about a call to said officials. <sighs> Why wear masks if you're just not going to wear them all the time properly? Oh, I, I saw a gentleman um, who very much looked like an NHL coach uh, read into that as you want uh, who was not wearing one this morning at a local hardware store. And it ugh. I read him the riot act and I probably would have been fired from my job too, like Tim Peel for using some choice language. A friend of mine who um, has a podcast, a hockey podcast for the Syracuse crunch. She's also a school teacher and she had tweeted yesterday. I think it was, maybe it was the day before that if she can, if she can yell over a bunch of children to the back of the classroom wearing a mask, then coaches should have no problem, you know, yelling to guys fairly close to the bench without pulling down their mask. Yeah, it's just those seven words that all the coaches know. They kind of all blend together. So when when it's a little muffled, you don't know if they said one four-letter word or the other four-letter word. In which form of that four-letter word did they use? Was it the adjective form? Was it the verbal form? You know... Tweet. Was it was it Sometimes past tense? Yeah. <laughs> it, was it you know what tense was it in? I'm I'm having trouble thinking if Daryl Sutter actually knows the difference. Does there need to be a difference? I mean, I th- I would say there does, but you know. Hmm. 
given that it's his primary technique of um, coaching. I don't know. I think his primary technique technique in coaching is is lobbing grenades and press conferences. <laughs> After video review, we have a good goal. As we should. Oh, don't Rasmussen's say it's a first good goal. Season. Jeff I know that, dri- that drives, me nuts. drives me nuts. Why? Why? Uh, it's just we have a goal on the ice. No. Because it wasn't a good goal. It was just a puck crossed the line that was challenged. It is either good or bad. It was a it was an unsuccessful challenge. Okay. But the goal was deemed by <clears throat> them to be illegal. Which is a bad goal until an adjudicator comes in and determines its validity. It's fine if you say it's a good goal. Why are we putting value word, value judgment words on goals? Why can't it just be a goal that goes in or, or not a goal? <clears throat> I think that that's like you know discrimination or something, good or bad. <laughs> Can we lobby to have adjudicator be? an official role like let's get rid of referee and linesman i i want adjudicator to be one of the official roles and maybe it's because i've watched john wick three a few too many times but i just really <laughs> like that <laughs> you can't cut the king um <laughs> I am the king. Okay, I think we've devolved enough. Don't you? I think so. Mm-hmm. Cassie, would you like to continue your streak of questions? No, I thought you were going to do yours. I, I'm fine. Either way. Go for um, it. Okay. Boop. Trying to figure out which one of the two I want to use. I think I'll do this one this week. As given given that it's we're we're fast fast approaching the trade deadline, um, and everyone's going to watch four hours of television coverage of guys spinning plates and llamas doing tricks because nothing's going to happen that day. Um, <clears throat> given my my the pretext for this question is simple, ish. Trades aren't going to happen even in the off season. Because the cap's flat, and too many teams are sitting at the salary cap, at or near it. And teams, if they're looking to make trades for certain players, it's going to have to be a money-for-money deal. And you're never going to get equity that way, right? There aren't a lot of money-for-money deals out there to be had. Now, given the cap's going to be flat for a couple of years, this is going to put teams under a tremendous amount of strain to clear cap room to make adjustments to their roster should they need to. I'm looking at you, Toronto, when you find out again that you, you know, your goaltender is up and you need to bring in somebody who may be a little bit better or you may need to shore up your defense. How do you clear the cap space? Well, there's one thing coming that could help clear cap space in a heartbeat. Hmm. Who is 
one of, or can you? How many unlikely players do you think will show up on the expansion list? Players in a normal year that would, in a normal expansion, they'd be protected, but simply for the sake of not being able to make a deal to clear cap space without moving said player, they're going to be left exposed. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.